Welcome to Access Utah. I'm Tom Williams. UPR reporter Melissa Allison's recent story is headlined, Brown Lawns Popular in Blanding. Blanding is on a mesa with no nearby rivers. It depends almost entirely on snowmelt for its culinary and agricultural water supply. City manager Jeremy Redd thinks Blanding residents might be more aware of their water situation than most residents in urban areas, which may help to explain the area's voluntary conservation effort, which resulted in 18% less culinary water used in 2013 as compared to 2012. In the meantime, the Utah Foundation is out with a report focusing on the interaction between population growth and future water supply. Utah's population is projected to grow by 2.5 million people in the next 35 years. Well, we'd love to hear from you about the water situation where you live. What are your concerns regarding water? And what are you doing to conserve water? We're going to talk later in the program with Utah Foundation research analyst Mallory Bateman. The foundation's out with several recommendations. We begin with Blanding City Manager Jeremy Redd. Uh, and uh, the Blanding uh, City uh, website has some conservation measures. As I mentioned, they've been successful in uh, encouraging voluntary conservation over the past uh, couple of years. And I spoke recently with their city manager about water in Blanding. Our reporter, Melissa Allison, I believe, uh, found this story on the city's website. There was a piece there about conserving water, and uh, she called you up. And uh, the headline on our website is Brown Lawns Popular in Blanding. So you're, you're having some success with voluntary conservation of water, it sounds like. We are. We've had quite a bit of success with it. Um, you know, we there's a couple of different ways you can go if you want to get people to conserve, and we've been very successful with asking people and, and allowing them to voluntarily conserve and to make that choice on their own, and uh, and it's been very successful for us. Another way you could do it would be to, you know, enforce that and, uh, you know, have your law enforcement people out ticketing people who are using water in an un unwise manner, or you can raise the rates to an astronomical level and force people to conserve that way. But uh, we certainly want to start with trying, um, uh, you know, a, an approach where we just ask people to conserve, and it's been very successful for us, and I, I would hope that we don't have to do anything more than that. And you have you have been successful, right? Uh, uh, you've indicated that uh, water usage in 2013 water year was 18% less culinary water than 2012. Well, that's correct. And and really, I think, uh, you know, Allison asked me what one of the differences are was, and I I didn't have a really good answer for her then, but I, as I thought about it, one of the issues, when I lived in different cities, when I lived in Salt Lake or when I lived in Provo, you don't think about where your water comes from. You know, you, you just assume that you're going to turn on the faucet and water's going to be there. And that's somebody's job to provide that water for you. And, and if that water didn't come out, you'd have somebody's head because they weren't doing their job correctly. But I'm not sure everybody really understands where, where their water comes from and how it gets to their house. But um, in Blanding, you know, we're not near a river. We're not near a, a great water source. So all of our water comes through uh, snow um, for the most part. You know, we do have some wells that help supplement that, but that's just recent. So there's a long history of people in Blanding understanding where their water comes from, uh, being very grateful for the water that they have, and and they understand um, that, that it's a resource they have to conserve and, and be very careful with. So in Blanding, as I understand it, uh, you're, you're not near a river, and uh, you do depend entirely on the, on the snowmelt, I guess. Yeah, I would say on a 
on a decent snow year, we we go 100% off of the snow melt from the uh, from the mountain. We're not the closest river is, you know, green. Uh, let's see, the Colorado River in Moab, which is 90 miles away, or San Juan River is at least 20 miles and it's downhill. So there's we're not going to be getting any water from rivers. Our water comes uh, from snow melt off the mountain, and then and then about seven or eight years ago, we drilled some. Uh, 1,800 foot deep wells to help with some some underground water, but very expensive to access that water, and uh, it comes with its own challenges. So typically, we use the water that comes from snowmelt. For people not familiar with Blanding, I uh, should back up here, I guess, and say the population is what 3,500 people or so. Yeah, approximately. Yeah, you're you're the biggest town in San Juan County, I believe. Yes. Yeah. Yes. About an uh, what an hour drive south of Moab. Yes, about an hour, an hour south yeah. of Moab, about an hour north of Monument Valley and the state line. So. What's the, what were the key factors in the economy there? Uh, you know, our economy relies on on really three things. We do have um, a pretty substantial Utah State University campus here that uh, at times has seven to 800 students, mostly from the Navajo Reservation. So education is a, a big factor. Uh, government is a factor. You know, we have social services and, and other... Uh, government jobs and then healthcare has become quite a quite a big industry in blending as well as we take care of healthcare for southeastern utah we have a new hospital and quite a few doctors and clinics that, that take care of people here uh, you, you mentioned i want to follow up something interesting you said just a, a couple of minutes ago about uh, the fact you think blanding maybe more so than some urban areas the average resident would have a pretty good sense maybe a connection with where the water was coming from and and you feel that that maybe helps with uh, citizens being willing to conserve. Yeah, absolutely. Every person that, that moves to Blanding um, gets indoctrinated pretty quickly on the water issue. And, and I think ever since Blanding was founded, water has been a big issue. Um, some of the early pioneers drilled a mile-long tunnel through the mountain to bring water from the north side to the south side. And that's probably the only reason that Blanding exists at this point is because they were able to to find the water that they needed. We're, we're up on a mesa and just don't have it. So uh, people get that story really quickly upon moving to Blanding, and, and they buy into that idea that uh, water is a really precious resource. I just don't remember that ever being an issue other places that I've lived. I don't remember people talking about it. But uh, right now in the fall and, and approaching early winter, it's it's all people think about here. You know, people, they they pray for, they hope for, they watch for snow and and that's really the one thing that we need to bring us out of this drought. Yeah, I yeah and I don't think I hear that in other places. Right, yes, yeah, no, certainly rural areas, I guess, especially farmers. I imagine would you know that that would be the case. So right now we're we haven't seen many storms. I guess uh, people in Blanding are praying for some snow, at least in the mountains. So yeah, it's it's pretty tough right now. We're I mean it's probably fifty degrees here today. It's been unseasonably warm all across the state, but. We're we're still hoping that that we get some significant snowfall. When we get in this corner of the state, when we get snow. It typically comes through California, through Arizona, up through Flagstaff, and we it kind of hits us. And that's where we get our large snowstorms. So often, when Salt Lake gets uh, you know a record snow year, it misses us, and kind of vice versa. But we're we're really hoping for it. We've gone now three years of very poor snow uh, snowfall, and we're really looking for 
some better snow this year. Really hoping for that. So you have several reservoirs, and that that captures the the snow melt, and that's that's really what you rely on. I understand uh, three three or four. It, there's a letter you, that the city planning set out. It mentions a fourth reservoir. So I guess you have four reservoirs. Yeah, we we have one that's no longer in operation, but we kept the numbering system. Oh, so oh we I have see. Three, okay. re, three main reservoirs uh, that we rely on to put water in, and and we've been very aggressive about expanding those reservoirs. We've done what we can to try to keep the snow that we receive from year to year. And and right now, Blanding City, as far as culinary drinking water, we still have at least two to three years' worth in our reservoirs. So, you know, we're not in a dire situation as far as drinking water, but if people want to be able to water outside, gardens, lawns, any sort of irrigation water, um, it's going to be really tough unless we get some some more water Mm. from snowmelt this year. So how are you doing from 2013 to 2014 in terms of uh, conservation and, and citizens saving water? We saw the same level of conservation that we did from from the previous year. Um, we didn't ask people to try to do any more, but I have no doubt that if we came out next year and we said we want everyone to use 25% less, I really believe that people would do that voluntarily. I think that they would they would turn down their sprinkler systems and they would they would plant less. Um, you know, we felt like because we had the culinary water in our system, it wasn't to the point where we had to ask for more restrictions than they had already done in the past. But I have no doubt that if we asked people to conserve more, they would conserve more Hmm. voluntarily. Now, our our reporter, Melissa Allison, in her story, um, she quotes you as as saying that uh, there's apparently a high level of cooperation. On bad years, people in town recognize that uh, maybe people on the farms need the water, and, and so they're conserving in town for that reason. Yeah, I mean, there's a real neighborhood feel in Blanding. Everybody knows everybody, and so you sure hate to be putting a ton of water on your lawn if you know that your neighbor who's a rancher can't grow any alfalfa for his cows or livestock. And so I think people really do band together. They they know that just because the city might allow them to water outside they they really should be careful and certainly not wasteful of that water because there's other people that that aren't so fortunate. Absolutely. Have in the time you've been in Blanding, uh, have you seen significant changes with regard to water? Are there probably fluctuations, good years, bad years, but any any trends? Uh, boy, I don't know. I wish I I wish I had that magic ball where I could tell you what the trends have been doing, but it's it's pretty up and down. We'll have a couple of good years. Uh, we know we have periods where we go three or four years without significant snowfall. And so this is nothing new to people from Blanding. They've been doing this for many, many years. But, um, you know, we, we, like I said, we try to save what we can in the good years. Even in the good years when there's lots and lots of water, there's still um, sort of a general feeling of water conservation. People understand that if they can leave it in the reservoir, um, they might be able to use it again on a, on a lean year. And, and it doesn't always match that exactly but i think there's there's really a conservation minded approach from all the citizens do you, do you think in a walk downtown blind you think people worry about water they think about it oh absolutely absolutely um you know there's the the white mesa mill which is a uranium processing mill here south of blanding they they get a lot of the water they need to process there or uh through the same kind of in, industrial or you know, the system that we use, and they have not been able to have any water for a couple of years, and, and that affects what they can do. It affects um, 
people's employment. So everybody is concerned about that, absolutely. They haven't been able to get any water for a couple of years, so how do they continue, or, they, or, or do they, when they don't they, have any water? They haven't been able to get any from the city for the oh, last two okay. years. Okay. So what they've done is they have uh, worked on their own processes. They're trying to recapture some of the water that they have down there, They and they've worked on some of their own deep, deep wells so that they can have water to operate. But um, luckily, you know, the price of uranium has been down a little bit, so it hasn't been something they've been wanting to do tons of anyway, so. Mm-hmm. Now, is that, I don't know, the, the, just the process, that controversial in town, or is it just seen as a, as a source of jobs? No, no, it's not, not terribly controversial. Mm-hmm. No, people people in Blanding uh, are very pleased with that. Yeah. Now, this letter that uh, went out from the city uh, giving hints on water conservation, I guess, could, uh, could be something that all of us could, uh, you know, uh, follow. And, in fact, you have a link to conservewater.utah.gov. Um I wonder if you could talk a little bit about that. What what are you advising uh, people in Blanding to do in terms of conserving water? Well, we've we've come up with quite a few ways. It was a little while ago that I sent that out, so I'm not I'm not looking at it right now. But you know, we are we're always trying to get people to look at how they use their water and use it in a wiser fashion. Um, we we ask people not to, for instance, spray off their sidewalks, or you know, we like people to. If they're going to wash their car, wash it on the lawn so that you can, you know, get dual purpose out of that water. Uh, we've had people do all kinds of things. Not that we've suggested it, but we've had people, you know, take their bath water and pour it on their lawn. We've had people do the same thing with their dishwater. Um, I think it's just generally when people look at their water usage, make sure that the the outside watering that you're doing is beneficial to plants. It's not going on sidewalks. It's not ending up in the gutter and in the storm drain system. It's it's being of some benefit to your your plants or your animals, and it's not being wasteful with that water. It looks like a lot of these tips are taking what people would normally just do with water, and just you know trying to tweak that. For example, um, change your lawnmower to three inch clipping height. You know, just cut cut your grass higher. Mm-hmm. Not radical changes, and I guess uh, in in that way, gradual changes people can follow that. Yeah, we're, we've never advised anybody does anything radical. I mean, we, we want people to be able to use water and, and feel like they have a good quality of life. But we do want people to think about ways that even they can conserve a little bit of water. If you if you leave your grass clippings higher, then it shades the lawn and it allows your water to stay in the in the soil longer. And I think all of those tips I got off of the, the Utah Water Conservation website so that that's a good resource for people that want to learn how to conserve. Finally, uh, you mentioned earlier one of the you know there are a lot of ways that uh, you can I guess force people to conserve. One of those might be to charge a very high price for water, and and some say there ought to be high price to charge. People ought to be able to, ought to feel the the tr- the true cost of of this resource. Uh, and it, I'm get I'm hearing that uh, Blanding doesn't want to go in that direction. Um, and I suppose the you know if, if you can get people to conserve um, voluntarily, that's uh, certainly the way to go. I wonder what you think about the that uh, the price, and maybe the price ought to be higher just to reflect the the true cost. Well, I don't disagree with that. I think in Utah we have, I would say we have subsidized water pretty much across the board, um, and in Blanding certainly that's the case, um, but. It's a real balancing act between quality of life and allowing people to to have some of the things that they've had in the past and that 
they feel like makes their life worthwhile, um, and also making people pay for what they're actually using. It's it's important, and we've done rate increases. I'm not going to tell you we haven't. When we we turned on and we pumped our deep wells, we have to be able to recover the cost of that pumping. But you want to try to keep water. You know, it's a basic necessity of life. You'd sure hate to price anybody out of being able to enjoy water, you know, and, and have it and use it in the way that they want to. But at some point, I am really opposed to going around and ticketing people for using water in the day, for instance, or some of those other measures. I guess at the end of the day, if somebody would, would prefer to buy water for a higher rate and forego a vacation, we ought to allow them the opportunity to do that. And then those who value the water will be able to use it. But I sure would hate to see it get to a point where uh, people people that were on a modest or fixed income couldn't couldn't use water in a responsible manner. Uh, we are down to just about the end of our conversation here. At, um, I noticed on the uh, website, blandingutah.org, is kind of... Uh, you have a slogan, Base Camp to Adventure. Uh, my guest um, yesterday on the program asked him uh, where some places were on the Colorado Plateau that he would recommend. One of those was Cedar Mesa, which I noticed is on, on the list here. So I'll just give you a chance to plug Blanding area. Why, why should people come come there and visit? Yeah, i got to tell you, that's, uh, that's a good question. I'm glad you asked. Um, Blanding, I believe, and, and I'm a little bit biased, but this is an undiscovered part of Utah that I think people will be very pleased to discover it and I guess I'm I'm wanting them to do that although we sure would hate to be overrun but uh, Cedar Mesa Natural Bridges National Monument is fantastic like I said we're halfway between Arches and Monument Valley um, Cedar Mesa has the, one of the largest concentration of uh, Native American ruins in the world and it's fantastic and, and these are some places that have not yet been discovered by certainly by Utah tourists. I think we get a lot more tourists from outside the area and even outside of the country. Um, but it, it's being discovered a little bit at a time, and it's a fantastic place to come and get away from maybe the crowds and the um, you know, the, the Moab adventure that is a little bit more commercialized now and maybe get back to what Moab used to be 20, 30 years ago. But you can certainly get lost and, and feel like you're on your own here. So. Well, uh, it's been a pleasure. Uh, Jeremy Redd is City Manager for City of Blanding. Thank you so much. Thank you. Appreciate it. You're listening to Access Utah. My thanks to Jeremy Redd there. Uh, and uh, we heard some issues which are specific to Blanding, but uh, certainly uh, can be extrapolated out to uh, the entire West and Utah, certainly. And uh, the Utah Foundation is out with a report released uh, in the fall uh, on water, specifically with regard to growth. Um, focusing on the interaction between population growth and future of water supply, Utah's population is projected to grow by 2.5 million people in the next 35 years. The report uh, starts out, it's, it's, I guess it's always good to go to movies, and uh, the report uh, quotes the movie Chinatown, which of course, if you remember, is about water. Uh, the quote, either you bring the water to L.A. or you bring L.A. to the water. You could uh, say that about Utah. There's some recommendations there. We will expand this discussion to all of Utah, and we'll bring in Utah Foundation Research Analyst Mallory Bateman following this break. Programming on Utah Public Radio is made possible in part by our members and Crumb Brothers Artisan Bread, located at 300 South and 300 West in Logan. Featuring croque madame topped with egg, Swiss cheese, cream, ham broiled atop a thick slice of sourdough. Breakfast menu at crumbbrothers.com. 
listening to the strange sounds of singing sands in the Mojave Desert. Well, it sounds a bit like someone playing the tuba badly as you walk along, so you can actually hear your footsteps making this weird sort of bop, 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 bop sound. Silly sand and other unusual sounds. I'm Steve Kerwood, and that's next time on Living on Earth from PRI. Wednesday morning at 10 on Utah Public Radio. Thanks for listening to Access Utah. We're talking about water in Utah. Of course, Utah, the second most arid state in the Union. Water is, I think, always an important topic. But I wonder if it's uh, really on people's minds. We bring in now Utah Foundation Research Analyst Mallory Bateman. Welcome to the program. Hi, thanks for having me. The uh, latest report, or one of the latest reports from Utah Foundation, has to do with water. I believe this is a part of a series on uh, population growth. There's a report on where the population is going to be, and uh, and, and this report uh, has to do with the interaction of uh, population growth and and water supply, I believe. And I, I guess you were involved with this report? Yeah, um, I, was, I was the author of this and the first two um, other reports in this population growth series. We have another coming out about education, um, I believe, in January. All right. But, um, yeah, it's been an interesting interesting thing to look at this year. So maybe, since you're the author of the other two reports, it got me curious reading those uh, headlines. Uh, where is the population growth going to occur? Um, so we use the Governor's Office of Management and Budget, their projections, and so their projections show that there's going to be a lot of growth in Utah County um, in the you know period between now and 2050 because, in part, there's a lot of there's a lot of room for growth to continue there. Um, you've got a lot of areas that that are kind of converting from rural areas to more urban areas, and so in the Wasatch Front region, that is kind of the hot hotbed of growth. There's a couple smaller towns throughout the state, um, but even even just the smaller towns kind of on the outskirts of Utah County are, are the areas that are projected to grow significantly. We're opening the phone lines. Our questions for you. What is the water situation where you live? We heard about the situation in Blanding. There are some u- unique elements. It might be the same where you live. Uh, Blanding is not located near a river. They depend almost entirely on snowmelt. And so they're uh, praying, especially this year, for, for some snow. Uh, by the way, on our Facebook uh, page. We have this from Steve McIntyre, who lives in uh, Beaverdam, Arizona. He says it's the second week in December, and the height of autumn has just arrived at the southern end of the UPR listing area. He talked with me yesterday about raking leaves, and it was in the 50s and 60s. Uh, but the downside is we're, we're not getting the snow, and uh, so that might have uh, bad effects uh, down down the road. Um, I, one of the things that uh, Mr. Red said, the city manager of, uh, of Blanding, Mallory Bateman, really struck me. He says that he's not sure everyone understands where their water comes from. He says when you move to Blanding, it's kind of impressed upon you, but in many areas, you just turn on the tap and you don't think about it much. Do you you think that's true? Yeah, I think that's absolutely true, and I I thought that was a a very important thing for him to say. I actually noted it, Um, and it was something that I heard. In doing this report, I I talked to a bunch of people in the water community. I talked to... um, I'm in Salt Lake, and so I talked to Jordan Valley Water Conservancy District pretty extensively, and um, they said the same thing. And so, you know, if you're in the more urban areas, you just assume, yeah, you're going to have water. You see the mountains, you see there's snow on the very tip tops, and and you know that's going to eventually come to you, and you're not worried about it. Um, But 
we we have the second highest um, domestic water consumption in in the entire U.S. And so it seems kind of like an interesting um, balance between living in this desert atmosphere, but being top consumers of this very precious resource. In your report, you quote Chinatown. Always a good idea, I guess. Uh, but, um, <laughs> John Houston said, you know, the famous uh, quote is, uh, you can bring water to L.A. or you can bring L.A. to water. And as you say in the report, uh, Utah has been a state that has brought water to the citizens. Yeah, and, and it was funny because I was watching this movie just on my own, and I was as I was writing this report, and was like, I can't believe this. You know, this is exactly what's going on in the state. Um We've had a long history of of bringing water to people that might not be directly um, near it. You know, the pioneers definitely tried to come in and and they settled right near water. But then as those developments grew, they had to get water out farther and farther. And so it seems like if we're going to have this big population growth, I mean, it's something that we've seen before. Our population has grown significantly since the 1970s. I think we've almost tripled between 1970 and now. Um, but, you know, if you're in the Wasatch Front, you can see that spatially we're a little restricted. Um, you know, there's not that much room for, for more people. And, and so I think hopefully, at least I am thinking, you know, where are we going to keep spreading farther and farther out to places where it might be more difficult um, to convey water? Or are we going to try to keep people, you know, closer to closer to those water sources? I think it was great to hear that in Blanding, you know, people are aware that water is that precious resource, and it, it, it is a challenge to get it to them. Um, but I don't know if you would see that in newer developments um, that are spreading farther out. And another factor, apparently, in Blanding, uh, it's a small community. Everybody knows everybody else, uh, probably. Uh, there's a spirit of cooperation. And so Mr. Red said, if, if you feel like your neighbor who's a farmer needs the water, you're, you're more willing to conserve in town. Uh, I don't know. It may need that spirit of cooperation statewide. Yeah, and and it's an interesting thing because there are a lot of efforts, um, as he mentioned, that conservewater.utah.gov. There's some educational efforts. There's the Slow the Flow campaign um, that I remember growing up with that campaign. So to me, this is this is kind of a, a well. Of course, you want to you know turn off the tap, and you don't want your water running constantly. But I don't know. I don't know how you would develop um, kind of that statewide community without something kind of huge happening. You know, you, we're, we're seeing the, the crazy drought in California, and I hope that would kind of raise people's awareness. Um, you wouldn't want something like that to happen here, but I, I feel like sometimes it takes a kind of a big event for people to really recognize um, the scarcity of, of a resource. But one of the things Mr. Red said is he he would hate to see uh, uh, you know mandatory controls on water, but that might be the way Utah will have to have to go. That's one of the things I think you you looked at is uh, mandatory controls. Um, we didn't look extensively at mandatory controls. We just we looked at more um, kind of more focused conservation efforts. Um, there are a lot of great things out there, but I think a lot of people don't know that those resources are available to them. And so I think broadening those efforts could help significantly. Um, and, you know, it, at all of the um, the water conservation dis- districts, at least the, the big major five, um, they have some kind of garden or educational facility where you can go and see, you know, 
this is the best way to water my lawn or this is these are plants that are good for my area um, and they're they're a fantastic resource, but I just don't know that people recognize them or utilize them the way that they should. Um, it seems like there should be some kind of push from somewhere. I don't know where, but you know, kind of really broaden that effort. Um, we we didn't we didn't try to push anything mandatory, but I think making people more aware of of what they are using, um, and and addressing the fact that, you know, we, we do live in a desert. We're all aware of that. So let's be, let's be aware of what we're using and how we're using it. Yeah, it was a, this letter that went out from the city of Blanding, uh, leans on conservewater.utah.gov, and there's some, there's some great tips. You know, some of these I hadn't even thought of. One is a, a tip to when you walk across your lawn and you leave footprints, it's, it's time to water. That's when, you know, some very simple things. Um, change your lawnmower to three-inch clipping height, which I mentioned in the interview with with uh, with Mr. Red as well. Uh, so I just want to plug that again. That's uh, conservewater.utah.gov. Um, another great site is associated with uh, with Utah State University Extension, and that's Utah Water Watch. And there there are, there are many resources. Uh, one of the one of the things that struck me in your report, uh, Mallory, was uh, the fact that there there seems to be a disagreement over. Uh, whether there's going to be a problem or not. Uh, uh, For example, well, two viewpoints you talk about. Uh, The state currently has enough water, some say, for future demands, and uh, and some say we don't have enough water. We'll have to develop new new sources. So I guess that disagreement might have to be resolved. Yeah, and I, I don't know that it'll ever be completely resolved. I think there is actually a lot of agreement between the two groups, especially in, you know, current issues that we're facing. Um, But... It does seem that there there are two camps, and and um, those who think that there is enough water um, seem to be more of the the conservation groups and um, kind of academic minded people, um, whereas the the we're going to run out seems to be coming from um, the state and the the water conservancy districts, and so. Um, you know, both of them, both of both of those camps. I'm addressing them like they're a person, but mm-hmm. you know, each of those each of those areas both think that you need to put a lot of emphasis in conservation. Um, you know, the the we we have enough group seems to think we're not doing enough with conservation, and if we did more, there would be more opportunity for um, wiggle room in our water supply. They also see. Um, current agricultural water and secondary water systems as a resource that we're not currently using. And um, I'm hoping to study that the agricultural side of water, I, we can't do it this year, but this coming year, but hopefully in 2016 I can get it on our research agenda because I think it's something that's really interesting. And, and it's a really big issue for the state when we've got over 80% of our water going toward agriculture. Um, I think it's something that Utahns should just know more about. So, yeah, there there's a pretty startling uh, pie chart. Uh, it's it's on the front page of this report. By the way, you can go to utahfoundation.org and just uh, search for water. Eighty-two percent agricultural. That's where it, this is the use of diverted water in Utah, and residential indoor is four percent. So it, it would just seem like there there probably is going to have to be some adjustment there, wouldn't there? Yeah, it it does seem that way. Um, you know, it's it's interesting. It's kind of been my my holiday party talking point. I I pull that out and people are always stunned. Um because we do talk a lot about um 
you know, conserving water, especially in the urban areas. And, and part of the reason why I focused on that um, for this report is just because most of the growth that's projected to occur is supposed to be in those urban areas. And so, um, you know, if these people are, are going to be in developed places, we need to figure out what to do with them, um, figure out plans of action for moving forward and maybe be a little bit more proactive with that. But um, it, it'll be interesting to see how this adjusts. I mean, the the agricultural interests in the state definitely have a voice and, and there's a reason that they exist and they're very important. But, um, you know, as, as like the places in Utah County that are projected to grow are currently kind of rural areas. And so in some of that growth, some of those rural areas are going to be taken away. And so there's going to be a shift as the population grows, if it grows as projected, um, that will, will shift that pie chart a little, but I don't know how significant of a shift it'll even be. We're talking water on this part of uh, Access Utah, in fact, for the entire hour. Earlier, we talked with uh, Blanding City Manager Jeremy Red. Right now, we're talking with Utah Foundation Research Analyst Mallory Bateman. Utah Foundation released uh, ha- is releasing a series of reports on population growth. When we're talking about is interaction of population growth with water supply. Utah's projected uh, to grow Two and a half million people in the next 35 years, which, Mallory, I'm not sure what the current population is, but that, that would almost double the state, isn't it? Yeah, it would almost double. I think we're at either 2.8 or 2.9 million right now, so pretty close to doubling. I think by 2060, we will definitely double if, if projections prove to be true. So water is definitely going to be a factor in this, the second driest state in the Union. And we're asking you um, what what you're doing about it. Uh, does it concern you? Perhaps it doesn't. Uh, and uh, Jeremy Red uh, in Blanding said he, he thinks in uh, many areas we just turn on the tap and uh, we don't think much about it. In Blanding, he says it's different. They, they do worry about it a lot since they, de- they depend entirely on snowmelt. We're going to take a break. We'll come back with more with uh, research analyst Mallory Bateman from the Utah Foundation. And I want to get into uh, some of the recommendations uh, that you have uh, in, in your report, including uh, pricing. We talked about that with Mr. Red. Uh, you know, should that be a part of any planning for, uh, for future water resources? Should we uh, get rid of or reduce subsidies on water? Most water in Utah is subsidized. More following the break. This is Festivo Alt Latino. I'm Felix Contreras. Cantigas is a Washington, D.C.-based, award-winning choir that specializes in chamber interpretations of music from Latin America and Spain. The joyful, transformative power of music. Coming up on Festivo Alt Latino. Wednesday afternoon at 2 on Utah Public Radio. On the next Humankind, we travel to a medical school in Ohio to hear from young people training to become tomorrow's doctors. They hope to practice a style of health care defined more by serving patients than the rules of insurance reimbursement. Also, the challenge of maintaining true compassion in today's stressful medical setting. I'm David Freudberg. Join us for Humankind. Thursday night at 8.30 on Utah Public Radio. What's the water situation where you live? We have the phone lines open. We'd love to hear about your situation. 
We have another eight or nine minutes left in the program. We're talking water. Earlier in the program, we took a look at Blanding. They're in a unique situation. They depend almost entirely on snowmelt. And Blanding City Manager Jeremy Red says he thinks that uh, Blanding residents maybe are a little unusual. They, they think about water. They think about where it comes from. And he's not sure that everyone understands where the water comes from. We're talking with Utah Foundation Research Analyst Mallory Bateman. The phone line uh, to reach us, 1-800-826-1495, 1-800-826-1495. You can join us at upraxcess at gmail.com, upraxcess at gmail.com. Uh, on Twitter, we're at Utah Public Radio, and you can join us on our Utah Public Radio Facebook page. So, uh, Mallory Bateman, in the seven or eight minutes that we have uh, left here, I want to turn to recommendations in, uh, in your report. Uh, uh, one of those... Re-examine the role of property tax funding for water agencies with a goal of reducing tax support and thereby increasing water rates. Yeah. <laughs> so this this came from um, a couple different sources. Um, the Utah Rivers Council has done a big survey, um, and they just re- repeated it. It wasn't ready at time of publication, but they did a survey kind of looking at different water districts throughout the West um, and how they, they use or don't use property tax. And they showed that um, it's a small number who use property tax um, at all, and then we are one of the only states that use property tax in the way that we do um, to have it go towards operations and maintenance. Um, instead of just, um, you know, facilities or, or other um, projects. Um, the Jordan Valley Water Conservancy District has also done a, a survey of, um, a similar survey, but, you know, phrasing the questions a little differently. And they also showed, you know, there are people using property tax, but they also showed the same thing, um, that we're using it slightly differently than other states do. And, um we had, a, we had a press conference when this report came out and invited the Rivers Council and Jordan Valley Water Conservancy District to give their insight. And um, Richard Bay at, at Jordan Valley said, we agree with five of the six recommendations, and this is the one that they do not agree with. Mm. Um, we think it's important to look at it because, it, it, you know, we are the top consumers of water, you know, one of the top two in the nation, and all the other Western states are, are a bit more... I mean, they're they're significantly less than us. And so, you know, there are different climactic issues and, and different things like that. But at the same time, we're, you know, 30 gallons per day higher than, than most other Western states. So um, it does seem that our low water rates could be lending themselves to, you know, a little bit of overuse. Somewhat related, one of the recommendations is install new technology to monitor water use. Uh, there's something called Advanced Metering Infrastructure, AMI, which provides consumers with real-time feedback on their usage. Uh, I could imagine in my home if I had that, that that might modify my usage of water. Yeah. Um, one one experiment or a pilot project that was going on um, is in the Weber, Weber Basin Conservancy District, and they, they used a system like this on their secondary water systems, which were previously um, not metered at all. There was no reading provided and and when people got their initial statement they were shocked and they thought that the system was broken and you know there's no way I'm using this much water and so it definitely changed um, people's usage patterns the number the amount of water people use in their homes is is roughly consistent you know whether the size of the house or, or the um, at least the per capita usage you know each person uses kind of the same amount of water however um, 
you know, the big thing is the outdoor watering. And so if, if you know you're, you're using a lot of water on your yard and that's going to end up costing you, that might change your, your watering patterns and your, your water use. This recommendation is interesting. Uh, it states, State and Water Conservancy Districts should continue to strongly encourage municipal governments to create or update existing ordinances that support conservation. That, that sounds like removing the direction of regulation, right? Making people conserve water. Well, it's sort of, but not really. It's, it's you know, removing those regulations saying you have to have this type of grass which might not be native to Utah or, um, you know, different regulations like that. There are a lot of, of old, you know, zoning regulations or, or city code that just don't really make sense with what we know about water today. And so um, the, the conservancy districts were actually going and, and trying to do educational um, sessions with cities, with, with big um, property owners, um, like the schools or churches, you know, here are best practices for for conserving water. And so it's just kind of removing things that might be a hindrance. Like in, in Salt Lake, you know, 10 or 15 years ago, when people started removing their parking strip, the grass there, and, and it turned into a big to-do, um, that turned into a change in code saying you can have, you know, rocks or alternative surfaces um, that might not require water. So it's it's just adjusting what's there currently. It's it's not saying, you know, go out and have your police um, knock on the person's door who's watering at noon. Um, you know, it's not it's not that stringent, but mm-hmm. yeah, the, the, they're, the par- they're trying to work together. Those parking strip brouhaha's just were, were head scratchers. I'm glad that many of the cities have changed those those laws because it seems like it's in all our best interest for people to zero escape their parking strip if they want to. Yeah, yeah, and it that's that's it's basically, you know, those common sense kind of things. Like why do I have to have this type of grass, this non-native grass that, you know, is is supposed to be in America's south where it rains a lot and, you know, we live in Utah where it doesn't. So adjusting to our climate. Uh, and uh, uh, maybe the final one I'll mention, there, there are several recommendations. Uh, this one, uh, I guess, has to do with, with planning and, and coordinating the planning. Establish better connections between city planning departments and water conservation districts. Uh, have there been some problems in that direction? Um, I didn't hear about any problems, but it just seems it, it's a little unfair. I have a background in urban planning, so to me this seems like you know a no-brainer. Um, there's a lot of things within building code or um, you know the previously mentioned things that I was talking about where you can make some, some small tweaks that will end up having a big impact on water use. And so um, I, I even got a recommendation from um, a couple of the people who looked over the paper to say, you know, water conservation districts should be working with all kinds of, of offices in the city government just because there's so many places where water interacts with what's going on that, you know, having an increased awareness of, of, you know, the situation with the Water Conservation District um, could make it a lot easier for everyone involved to conserve water or to reduce their water use. We just have about a minute left. I wonder what what, what your big takeaway from this report is or what, what you'd like people to take away from it. Um, my big takeaway is that, you know, these agencies are trying. They're trying hard <laughs> to, to get people to recognize 
our water use is a bit high. We might need to reduce it. We should reduce it. Um, but it's it's a big effort to get a state of, of 2.8 million people to recognize we need to, you know, reduce our water use. And so I would just say, you know, look at look at the uh, the watering calendar that is provided on that conserveutah.conservewater.utah.gov site, and it it tells you a good watering schedule. And I think people would be really surprised at how they aren't quite meeting that schedule. Thank you very much. Uh, Utah Foundation Research Analyst Mallory Bateman has been with us. There's a report uh, that you can find on the Utah Foundation uh, website. Thank you very much. Yeah, thank you. And our thanks to Blanding City Manager Jeremy Redd, my guest earlier in the program. Uh, We'll have a a commentary from Thad Box. Following that, we'll be joined by uh, Tim Slover, University of Utah theater professor and author of uh, the wonderful radio series and book, The Christmas Chronicles. Uh, That'll be uh, coming up. By the way, we have uh, many resources, or will have shortly on our website, upr.org, for uh, water conservation, water-wise plants, Utah's water schedule, conservation gardens, etc. Those will be a lot of good resources for you. Check that out at upr.org coming up shortly. And thanks for listening today to Access Utah. Commentator Thad Box. In my culture, women folk were honored and protected. Men never swore in their presence. Granny Box bore 12 children and raised 10 of them. Each fall, she picked more cotton than any man in the field, prepared meals while the men rested, washed clothes, milked cows, and kept house. She lived to be 97 years old. She was a beloved member of the weaker sex. In 1952, I used my GI Bill to attend college and become a professor. For the first 10 years, I never had a woman in my classes. By the 1960s, an occasional woman took one of my classes as an elective. In 1970, I became Dean of Natural Resources at a college with a track record of producing leaders in forestry, range management, wildlife, and other manly professions. There were few women students or faculty members in its productive history. Students were required to attend a summer camp to learn practical skills. Women were not allowed to attend that camp. As a new dean, my position was that if practical field work was necessary for land managers, it should be required of all our students. Once in summer camp, women performed well. Today, the Forest Service is full of women. At USU, the president, vice president, and treasurer of the Forestry Club are women. The secretary is a man. The male-female ratio in higher education has moved in favor of females for the past 40 years. In 1994, a little over 60% of the high school graduates, both male and female, enrolled in college following their high school graduation. Now, about three-quarters of young women go to college immediately after high school, compared to only about 60% of the young men. The human population needs to be stabilized, land productivity maintained, and interactions between individuals and species made mutually beneficial. We men have not been able to do those things. Maybe it's time for the weaker sex, someone like Granny Box with a college education, to have a go at it. This is Thad Box. Access Utah is a production of Utah Public Radio. 
You can listen to this episode or previous episodes of Access Utah anytime at upr.org, where you can find a link to subscribe to our podcast. This is Utah Public Radio, KUSR HD1 Logan, KUSK HD1 Vernal, KUSL HD1 Richfield, KUST HD1 Moab, KCEU Price, and KUSU FM HD1 Logan.